Welcome to the Movie Complex Channel Podcast. Here, I review streaming TV shows and movies so that you don't have to. Your time is precious and you don't have time to waste it. So each week, I'll review a TV show or a movie and give you a bite-sized review. Now let's jump into the review. Um, hi, welcome to the podcast. Um, I have a guest today and his name is Carlin. And we will be discussing our thoughts on the movie Unforgivable with Sandra Bullock. Hello. <laughs> I'm, I'm very excited <laughs> to, uh, to be on this podcast and to talk about this film because I'm willing to bring up certain points that nobody has really ever discussed about with Sandra Bullock as an actress before. So I'm excited. Okay, I am too, which is why I would like to know what your thoughts are on Sandra. Sandra, um, okay, you would, we can go right into it, unless you want to know sure. how, I, how I felt about the movie <laughs> as a whole. But, okay, um, well, the movie as a whole, I initially, I, I really liked it, you know, because it's about um, life out of prison, mm-hmm. um, the story of what happened to her um, when she got out, how people react to her being out. And, you know, just her putting her life back together after um, being in prison for like 20 years. So I thought that that was a very interesting topic to go for. And, you know, I I feel like she did um, a really good job telling the story. Right, 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 right. Yeah, I mean, I can see that. So... For starters, I can appreciate that this movie shed a light on convicts, you know, coming out of uh, the jail system, prison system, and how difficult it is for them to restart their life, whether if it's such a minor crime or even something as uh, serious as murder, uh, just how difficult it is for them to get back into society and having society just uh, accepting them. So I do appreciate that. I do like that side of the story. Um, other than that, this movie seemed like a, a soap opera in a sense. Um, and I know there's, there's a lot of dramatic things happening, but it seemed like a lot of it wouldn't happen if people can just communicate with each other like normal human beings. But none of that was happening in the film. Um, well, I don't mind going into spoilers. So, like, what parts did you think were, like, unrealistic or a little bit unbelievable? Because I think I know where you're going with this. Okay, okay. Um, well, for starters, one thing that kind of bugged me a little bit was, a, let's say, the scene where Sandra Bullet was at work doing her thing and a co-worker just attacks her, right? Right. Um from my knowledge, they live in the city of Seattle, if I'm correct. And I think so. Right. And I know Seattle people, actually, my brother just actually moved out there. But I know people love, I know they have a respect for cops and, and stuff like that. But at the same time, I don't know, it just makes me wonder if these characters are uh, keeping that same energy for cops that just kill other random civilians for no for no justice at all uh i know that's not what this movie is about but it just made me wonder towards that 
because the the events leading up to that officer getting shot and how they were trying to get her out of the house and how they approached her was highly unprofessional um highly uh yeah I, I just feel like that just wouldn't happen because sandra bullock's character needed help like some serious mental help and i don't think rushing bone rushing her was was the option to do um yeah i mean <laughs> i mean i actually did have some thoughts about that now you just kind of maybe remember but i did think that that was really suspect that he didn't approach the front door he ran around the back and then broke the door down and i was like if you're communicating with her on the phone like why are you breaking into her house right yeah it really seemed like this is some backwoods countryside of seattle where the only law is the officers. <laughs> they just do what they want, which seems kind of weird. But um, yeah. And then even even if that whole thing were to happen, I don't understand why she would admit to killing the officer when she clearly didn't, which was a huge kind of plot twist. Right. But at the same time, she would still be going to prison anyway for allowing a shotgun to be available, so available with a little kid running around the house. Right. So with that, I think that she went to jail to save her sister from having a record. Cause I'm pretty sure like if they found out the kid shot the police officer, they would put her in like juvie or something or right. Nothing, that, nothing too major would have happened to that little kid because she right, is again, she's a minor. minor. Right. But um, I do think they probably would have charged her with like um, something like neglectful homicide or something or exactly. endangering a child or something like that. Exactly. But and I don't think she would have went in for 20 years. Exactly. Well, well, knowing Seattle and a lot of white privilege that goes on there, Sandra Bullock's character would have done at least two months. <laughs> and she, she, she would have been out eating pancakes again with her uh, with her sister. Right. But um, I guess since she admitted to doing the crime, they were like, oh, okay, cop killer. Okay. Mental issues. We're going to give her, you know, 20 years, which I probably think maybe 20 to life. Maybe they gave her the minimum and then let her out on parole. Yeah, yeah, that's what it seemed like. Um, yeah, again, it def she definitely would have been doing some type of time, but for the fact that she got 20 years seems kind of uh, lenient. I think she still got out pretty lucky, even though the film does depict uh, convicts having a rough life outside of prison. She's still living a pretty lucky, um, blessed life if you ask me, for someone who just got out of prison for murder. I mean, yeah, she's got two jobs. She's <laughs> exactly. got a boyfriend. She's able to have a lawyer and communicate with the parents. I let was like, wow. Let me tell you, she's looking like Tim Allen when he got out of prison. Everything just going his way. <laughs> yeah, but and I'm, I can believe like for a normal person coming out of prison, it's not that easy to get a job from your parole officer and then find a second job, you know, with a person that's going to pay you under the table. I mean, like he didn't do. Oh my God. Background check or nothing. He just, okay. 
fix up this place. And I'm like, all right. Let me tell you what made my blood boil throughout the entirety of the movie. It is that parole officer. Like, holy crap, could you not be even more of a downer piece of trash human being? He was just completely negative. Like, he legit says, oh, you're not going to do anything. Most people who get out will eventually come back in. You better go find a job, blah, blah, blah. And she went out. She found two jobs. And he's like, where are you going? She's like, I'm going to work. He's like, you got a job? Like, it was just overly (laughs) negative to the third degree. Yeah, he was pretty negative. But I think that he's been, like, tainted by the system so he's just used to people failing 100%. So, yeah so he's got that failing mentality like she's not going to do anything and he's just a grade A hater Connor's he is. He's just a hater I think like, honestly, they didn't turn his character around until the end when she got hope that they she got a lawyer and was able to like possibly have a meeting with her sister Right. Well, he was so trash throughout the movie, but at least to <laughs> me. But to for me, and and obviously they don't show his 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 life. They don't show what his character, uh, his origins or whatever. But for me, just looking at him, how much negativity he was bringing to Sandra Bullock's character, really made me seem like he has no family. He has no one who loves him, and he knows he's a trash human being. And. <laughs> The only way to make himself feel better if he can just bring someone down to his level. That's that's truly what I felt when I watched him. Every scene. Yeah. Yeah, he's pretty rough. So what did you think about the whole um, meeting the sister scenario? Like, I thought that that was a bit of a stretch, especially when you have the parole officer explaining that that type of stuff doesn't happen. Like, those rights get revoked from prisoners um and we're talking about like sandra bullet trying to meet her sister right like the whole process of her getting a lawyer and being able to have a meeting like i felt like that was a little bit unrealistic especially when you have the guy the parole officer saying that that normally doesn't happen exactly exactly um yeah i i mean obviously in in real life i would feel like that wouldn't have happened i mean i'm not a lawyer and until i pretend to play one on tv (laughs) (laughs) but um yeah that was that was a a little bit of a stretch and just the fact that i don't know i just felt like maybe the sister would have had questions growing up like where is her actual parents or does she have any relatives or is she actually from the city because i know they said she has a memory loss or something like that that. i think they said the trauma of the incident um kept her from sleeping and and kept her from remembering what happened or something well i'll tell you what the trauma of that black character just hating on sandra bullock (laughs) so hard made me forget all about this movie Oh my goodness. And then was it me or did you get essence of color purple when like you found out that they were hiding letters from her and then the younger sister found them and started reading them and put them together? I was like, did they just rip off another movie? I feel like they ripped off every movie that's a soap opera related. (laughs) But at this time, now the communication has 
has really ceased to to not happen, right? Like, I don't understand how you can have uh, an adopted daughter or adopt a child or taking someone in at a very young age and just not tell them who they are. Because at that point, you're basically raising Anakin Skywalker ready to explode on you. Right. And then on top of that, I don't really remember them saying what the age of the daughter was, because I think when you're 18, you're so like parents, that's the age parents usually confront the child and let them know about their, you know, fostered, I mean, the, their biological parents and stuff like that. But it seemed like she was too late. that age. It yeah. is too late. Okay. Yeah, it's it, it does seem like she was, um, I don't know. I mean, personally, it didn't seem like she was in college yet. It seemed like maybe she was like, if I had to guess, the summer of maybe going off to college. Right. I don't know. It was very iffy. They didn't really explain that that whole age. Well, wait, 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 here's the thing. All right. We do know what age she is. Because by the time that whole incident happened, when she shot that officer, she could have been no more, no, no older than eight, eight or seven, right? Something like that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, let's say six. I, I think she was six years old. And there's 20 years have passed since Sandra Bullitt was in that prison system. So she's at least 20, mid-20s. At right. Least. At least 27. Right. So she's in her mid-20s. So now at this point, psychologically, I'm thinking that of this movie, I'm thinking that the parents that are hiding this information are sick human beings just from the fact that they are coping. How can I explain this? I feel like they're cuddling this little girl. Not even a little girl. She's in her mid-20s. They're cuddling this daughter of theirs to be exactly who they want to be in life. And clearly that's not who she is. Right. And that's a very dangerous thing. I had a problem with the parents because I'm like, why would you keep that information from her? That's like pertinent life information. And then on top of that, she's beyond the age of 18 and where she can find out the information for herself anyway. Right. And they just kept all that information from her so she could have a good life. But in reality, because all this stuff happened, she hadn't really had a good life no if you ask me she's a prison she's a prisoner with that family i think so i mean because i guess right in the beginning of the movie she had the car accident because she blacked out from the like yeah, trying to that was have, crazy <laughs> yeah like she had like a memory of the thing and then she blacked out so she was already having trauma from that and they still didn't think to tell her what was going on. Right, right, right. Yeah, imagine that. That is probably one of the worst things a human being can go through with you knowing someone has passed away with not telling them everything they should know about yourself or even like within like their life of just secrets that they should have known. And if she would have died without knowing all that information about her family... I don't know how that other how those other parents can live with themselves. And then my thing, I, I, I just thought about it. My thing is she was raising her younger sister. Like her dad um, committed suicide. Right. And um, so I'm like, where was the social worker? Like, why was there no other relatives or 
person from the state coming to visit them and making sure they had food and that they were okay. So you just have this maybe teenager, 20-year-old person raising their sibling with no help at all. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, no help at all. Um, maybe I can say the movie stays consistent with that because... I have seen quite a few documentaries about the social working system and how it's really just kind of, it's just there to be there. They, it's kind of built in a way that they don't really put too much effort into it, which would explain that horrible character. I, I'm going to look up his name because I want to stop calling him the black character. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's, uh, uh, maybe it's a little bit consistent to that because the social working the reason why the social worker wasn't there because he didn't want to be there. He didn't care about the family, which is why the black character doesn't care at all. Mm, that could be. So I'm, I'm going to ask, I'm scared to ask because you had hinted it before, but mm-hmm. what did you think about Sandra's acting? Okay. So Sandra's acting and for uh, anyone wondering, the black character in that movie is Vincent Cross. I will now call him Vincent. Okay. That clear. <laughs> um, all right. So here's the thing about Sandra Bullet. Sandra Bullet has a very legendary career. I would say. I would say she was. She definitely deserves to be in the Hollywood Walk of Fame. All the stuff. She has great movies on her resume. She has done iconic movies. And I can honestly say each and every single one of those movies was she was not the reason why those movies were successful or or are good in that sense. And um, and we can go down her entire career. I mean, even from. Well, I guess I can only talk about movies I know, but like Miss Congeniality from Gravity to forces of nature to even the blind side i really hate that movie now that i think about it <laughs> um yeah all those movies were not the reason why those movies blew up or why they are critically acclaimed and stuff like that it's not her acting that that does this stuff right it's just she's just a part of um i don't know i want to say it's just great timing or you just say she was the name to draw the people in to get to the movie I wouldn't even say that. I mean, so, I mean, even if you look at the blind side, right? Or just not, mm, okay, let's, let's look at gravity, right? Something a little bit more recent. And I I actually watched that one for the podcast, my, my, my podcast, but you look at, have you seen gravity? I haven't. Okay. Okay. Well, forget it. Let's not talk about gravity. Let's talk about the blind side. Yeah. Blind side. Let's the blind side. So the reason I felt that that movie was so big was because one, it was a true story and two, it was a true story about a NFL superstar that a lot of people liked and respected. And three, and this one's important. Three is because Hollywood loves, 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 loves to make movies about uh, white people helping black people. And acting like they're the saviors. I would have to agree with that one. <laughs> That's why that movie got Oscar Oscar attention and stuff like that. You can't tell me it was because of Sandra Bullock's role. 
Right. And I would have to agree with you on it. Um, I'm not the biggest Sandra Bullock fan, but a lot of times she can be very flat with her delivery of her lines. And it's not to say that, you know, reading something flat can't work in a movie, especially if that's what's called for from the actor. But if you think about it, Miss Congeniality, The Blind Side, um, this movie, all those characters are pretty interchangeable. Like they all talk the same way. They all have the same, you mm-hmm. know, mm-hmm. kind of um, movement, move the same way. It's like, I haven't really seen her come outside of her comfort zone and do something completely different that shocked people. Exactly. It's just a lot of the same character, almost not typecasting, but she plays a lot of the same characters. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because a lot of people give crap to people, uh, actors like Anna Kendrick, to Michael Sarah, to um, a lot of these actors who do the same roles. But Sandra Bullock gets away with it every single year because the movies have a bit of a credibility backing them, right? Right. Sandra Bullock is always acting with someone who is you typically an amazing actor or an amazing director or an amazing writer. She always has someone backing them. Sandra Bullitt is never at the forefront of whatever movie, right? She's kind of like, um, what's a perfect analogy to this? It's almost, I want to say it's almost like Tom Brady and the Patriots, right? Mm-hmm. She's Tom Brady, but really what's running the whole thing is uh, uh, Belichick. Right. Okay. Yeah, I, I completely lost you with that football analogy. <laughs> <laughs> Not completely. I was also trying to think of like what the movie equivalent with that of that would be. Of that like would be like another actor that's that's doing that. Yeah, like I think what she she wins because of the content of the movie and some of the actors that are in it. Mm-hmm. If I'm, I don't know if I'm explaining that right, but yeah, yeah. It's the, it's the, it's not her, it's the content. Right. It's the content, it's the people who's in it. It's almost like, I want to say it's like the Avengers, right? You look right. at all those Marvel movies, you look at um, Chris Evans, Captain America, he is freaking awesome. Robert Downey Jr., Iron Man, freaking amazing. Even um, Scar- Scarlett Johansson, like all these really good characters. And then you have Hawkeye. Whoever that actor is, I forgot his name. One of the most uh, boring Jimmy actors. Ritter. Yeah, one of the most boring <laughs> actors you can ever find in Hollywood. But yet, no one talks about that. No one talks about how boring he is. He even has his own show, for God's sakes. But he's able to coexist in this and still, uh, I guess, still take some of that credibility on how great those movies are because of what's backing them. And yeah, that would be a great example of what her movies are like. It's because she's there, she's the name, you know, she can get the butts in the seats, but it's really the content of the movie that really wins everybody over. Exactly. Now, with that said, this this movie, there's not really any big names in this movie. It's really just Sandra Bullock, which is why this movie fell very flat for me. 
And I think she she either produced this movie or directed it. It's one of those. I'm gonna have to look it up and see if I can't remember. Uh, it might have been producing. I see the director is somebody named Nora. Okay, I think she produced it then. I know she had her hands in it some kind of way. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, she definitely produced it. It's produced by seven people. Jesus. Oh Christ. my goodness. Executive producer, executive producer. This makes sense. This is why this film came off as a soap opera. Whenever there's like 20 executive producers in films, it means they had their hands in the writing process. Oh, wow. I did not know that. Good to know. Yeah. It's one of the kind of the trade secrets. So I also I also work in the film industry. I set up lights and whatnot. That's how I describe it to people. Okay. Um, what do they call it? The grip, maybe? Oh, so you know. Cool. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's two ways I always explain it to people. Like, if you don't know anything about film and they ask me, I was just like, yeah, I'm a, I, I just set up lights, make sure people look pretty. And then people who are like, really want to know, like, yeah, I am a grip and an electric. I set up lights. I block the light, shape it, cut it, all that fun stuff. And that is a very useful skill because that can do uh you could do photography with that and a whole bunch of other stuff oh yeah yeah so that's a really good skill to have me from my side um i mostly screenwrite so i do know a little bit about film but not that much oh amazing then we have so much to talk about because i write too (laughs) oh good that's awesome yeah you know what this movie probably would have been better if you would have wrote it (laughs) Oh, maybe, maybe not. <laughs> Probably couldn't have done better than that. You would have added another um, uh, another sister to the movie. <laughs> oh, no. There's already too many sisters. Speaking of characters, I had... I don't know. It's not a love-hate relationship. It's more like a interesting hate relationship with the um, the villains of the story, the, the two brothers. Oh my God, Tweedledee and Tweedledum. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they were a hot mess and a half because I was like, the older brother is like following her around, um, you know, because he's a cop's son, he's getting information from other officers about where she is and what she's doing. And then you have the younger brother that doesn't want any part of it. And it's not until like, some circumstances happen to him that he's now interested in getting even with her to, you know, on a revenge tip. And I'm just like, why? Why does this even need to happen? Mm-hmm. And I'm happy. I'm so happy you brought that up because the reason why this movie really fell flat to me was because this movie, well, and this is kind of a real thing. So I guess it does kind of shine a light towards people who have no idea how to grieve over a lost one. And because it's that age old saying life goes on, you move on, either you accept it or you don't, but just move on, right? And clearly these two brothers, uh, and don't get me wrong, if you're dealing with a a death of a loved one, it can still feel like there can be certain uh, trigger points where it can still feel like it just happened yesterday or it's happening all over again, right? But it seemed like, they never left that moment. Like, yeah, never. Like, they weren't... 
Well, it seemed like the older brother wasn't able to enjoy his life, but the younger brother had moved on. And it seemed to the older brother that he forgot what happened. So you have the older brother dragging the younger brother back into the grief and back into the pain Hmm. and revenge feelings so that he's not alone. Right. You know what I mean? And I was just like, why would you just like ruin someone's life like that? He wasn't even thinking about her. He had a a wife and a kid he was worried about. And then some kind of way he gets pulled into his shenanigans. And I'm like, why? Yeah. And then also it kind of seemed like, and this also just lets you know about the town that they live in too and how really small it is. Cause there's a, there's a good saying that, um, uh, it's really hard to change as a human being where all your surroundings, your environments, the people around you always stay the same. So mm-hmm. yeah, clearly they're living in a very small town. And then also another weird thing is I, it seemed like they both didn't have a problem with her until they heard she got out. <laughs> yeah. It seemed like the catalyst to start everything like the first domino. And I'm just like, so they were living normal lives before she got out. What happened to those normal lives? Right. Did they put on hold? Exactly. To do all this stuff? Exactly. And it seemed like they're not keeping that same energy in life when they hear about current events of this stuff happening, like with uh, George Zimmerman or, or or any of these other really famous uh, figures, uh, or public figures that maybe commit uh, such a heinous act. And they're able to just walk scot-free. It seemed like they never had a problem with that until it affected them, which is really exactly in itself. I feel like that exactly. Like they don't really care what happens to anybody else. They only care about what's going on in their lives and what's happening to them personally. Which probably is like that for most people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But again, these these two characters are literally Tweedledee and Tweedledum. And then just from the 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 fact <laughs> that the other brother, I can't remember their names. I can't either. But so it's totally fine. The I, I just want to call call one of them like if they look like something. One of the brothers literally looked like Humpty Dumpty. <laughs> and you know exactly which one I'm talking about. <laughs> I do. Humpty Dumpty literally was saying, we got to do this. We got to do that. I thought you were my brother, man. Come on. We're supposed to be there for each other, right? He's spilling. He's saying all this throughout the entirety of the movie. And then towards the end, you just see him sleeping with his brother's wife. Like, yeah, I thought that was the most bogus. (laughs) What? Like, so you did that to get your younger brother out the house so that you could sleep with his wife is was that the reason for all this i want to i want to believe i would hope hope that this has been happening way before this whole sandra bullock releasing from prison thing happening because if that was just a spare of the moment like all right we're about to go kill this lady but before i do that let me just go talk to my brother's wife real quick i mean well i've I remember a scene in the movie where it felt like the younger brother kind of was hinting at the fact that his wife and his brother were hanging out because they were at the party and they were in the alley talking about going to spy on Sandra Bullock's character. And then the wife's like, where are you at? It's time to get back to the party. And Mm -hmm. he was like, my brother got it handled. And I'm like, 
is that really what you want to say right now? Yeah. You want your brother to handle your wife's party happiness? Yeah, this is weird. Both those brothers are trash. The wife is trash. (laughs) The, the, what's his name? Vincent, black dude, he's trash. Yes. The adoptive parents are trash. Everyone is literally trash in this movie. I, I would have to agree with that. Um, especially the uh, Sandra Bullock's boyfriend. I don't want to call him Punisher, but um, yeah, how Punisher found out she was a convict and then told someone at work, and that's how she got beat up at work. Oh my god! I was like, <laughs> wow. I was like, yeah, don't talk to him ever again, <laughs> like exactly. ever. And then he's gonna be like, hey, I'm a convict too. <laughs> and I was like, oh, so that's why you acted like that. No excuse. No excuse. Yeah, that is. You know what? Whenever there are things that I can't explain in TV shows and movies, immediately in my brain, the movie it turns into a sci-fi. That's the only <laughs> way it makes logical sense. People wouldn't act this way. People wouldn't do this. So it is officially a sci-fi. And if I look at it like that, then uh, the unforgivable. I believe that's what this movie is called. It is uh-huh. a pretty damn good sci-fi adventure. Okay, well, I don't really have a screenwriter to talk to um, when I'm doing these movie reviews, but since I have another screenwriter on the podcast, what would you do as a screenwriter to make this film better? Mm, To make this film better? Yes, how would you write it to make it something that you could enjoy so first things first you know you have all these characters right and there's there's a good healthy amount of characters in this in this film so with sandra bullet and her character uh dilemma which i would keep the whole um you know she served 20 years for a murder that she didn't do and i want all those characters to reflect Sandra Bullet, right? They all have something to do with the prison system, right? So, and <clears throat> I don't think they did that good of a job with that. I think, um, for an example, um, I know, uh, what did you say his name was? Punisher? Mm-hmm. I know by definition, his character, he is a convict. And, but that's literally the only reason why he is uh, is somewhat related to uh, her character because she, he's a, he's a convict, and that's only from what he says. We don't ever we don't ever see this. We don't ever see him going through that or anything like that. So that's that's one. Uh, Tweedledee and Tweedledum, the wife and the child. I would have written them as uh, almost like a mirror of like this is happening all over again. Right? Mm-hmm. What, Sandra, right, what Sandra Bullock went through, with the the husband is about to do something over, clearly over not thinking through it and through mental health, that he's about to put himself away, and then the child is about to grow up again without a, uh, uh, I guess a family relative to look after them or whatever. Ah, oh, that's a good way to look at it. Right. So. I guess I guess what I'm trying to say is I would have just have the main character be more 
well, the main character, Sandra Bullock, is the theme of the film. I would have just had those uh, s- secondary characters be more of a theme of the of the entire film as well. Right. Because also, and I don't mean to be rambling on, but that other sister, the one who's like not related. Um, Emily. Yeah. Her character was just random. <laughs> she was just there just there to be there well as a writer i would have taken her out completely right it would have made a lot more sense and it would have been a lot more compelling if maybe you know what you know what i would do i would keep her in but i would have the actual sister of sandra bullet found the letters and then have her think that they belong to emily and not her and have her meet Sandra Bullock because Sandra Bullock doesn't know what she looks like. Right. So she thinks she's meeting someone else, but in all of this time, you've been talking to your sister. And then at the very end, I would have had Sandra Bullock went back to prison. And then her finding out at the very end that that person you've been communicating with and growing close to has been your sister this whole time. Ah. Uh, well, for me, I just would have written Emily out. Like, for me, she only had one purpose, and it was to find the letters and make a connection between Sandra and the sister. But I don't feel like they needed her. I feel like, you know, the sister, uh, Katie, could have just found the letters on her own, met up with Sandra Bullock, and then she could have been in the standoff as well. I just feel like Emily was an unwanted, barely used character. So I just would have, like, written her out completely. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, as far as the brothers thing, I would have gotten rid of one of the brothers too. I'm just like, I'm to be real. Like, um, I feel like between the older brother having the mom that kind of like, kind of brushes him off and doesn't want him to be around because she feels like he isn't doing anything to remember the father I think that and maybe if the wife had cheated with another man that wasn't a family member, probably could have been the the incidents that could have pushed him to go bother Sandra Bullock other than the older brother just being in shenanigans. I just right. weird. Right, and I can see that. And please tell me how you would how you would rewrite Vincent's character. <laughs> Vincent's character, um I would rewrite him to a certain point. So he he would still be an asshole. <laughs> yeah, I mean, everybody can't be sweet in this movie, and because everybody is sweet in this movie <laughs> except for him. But I would rewrite like some of the scenes where he was like, I don't know. I don't know. It's it's, it's hard for him because I kind of was okay with his character. Like, he wasn't the greatest character, but I'm kind of okay with how they wrote him. Mm-hmm. Because yeah, I, I hate him. she kind of needed, like, to me, she kind of needed somebody to give her a wake-up call because, to me, she just came out of prison and was in La La Land. Like, things were going great for her and things were just magically happening. And she kind of needed, like, the yin and yang like opposite to be like bring her down to earth like keep your head down don't talk to people 
you're a cop killer. People are going to always see you that way, even though they didn't in the movie. <laughs> the only people that saw her like that were the brothers. But I don't know. He reminds me of a really, really stupid. I'm trying not to cuss. He reminds me of a very stupid mace, a, a bootleg drug addict Mace Windu. That's who he reminds me of. <laughs> I could see that. But yeah, I mean, in all respects to screenwriting, they did a good job having him there as like the kind of negative force to kind of remind her, oh, you know, you're a, an ex-con. You need to act like it. And I think they did a horrible job of showing <laughs> how hard it is for inmates coming out of prison because, like, like I said, the two-job thing wouldn't have happened. Um, that just sounds wild. You, yeah, convict, act like it. <laughs> Finding a lawyer, like, and being able to go back to her old house and communicating with the new homeowners. Like, once those people found out she was an ex-con, she's lucky she didn't get put in prison again for like trespassing, right? Because that wife was lit. She was like, "You had a convict in my house? Like, no, that's not okay." Like, I felt like. Um, Viola Davis's character was the most real character in the movie. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you know what? And it's almost like I feel like those characters didn't really have to be in there. I don't think so either. Like the black. I think they just had Vincent D'Onofrio in there just so they had a lawyer and some more names that people knew. Yeah, exactly. More names people knew. Sometimes when you when you have certain actors that are going to be in a film, you just write them in. <laughs> just have right. them do something. Yeah, because if you think about it, I mean, other than the um, the brothers, you had a pretty decent cast. You know, you got Viola Davis, Vincent D'Onofrio, Sandra Bullock. So those are names that will definitely draw you in. And so I was really interested, especially when I heard from um, another YouTuber that this had Oscar buzz. So I was like, oh, let me see what this movie's about. And oh, then I looked yeah, at it and I was like, what? First off, we have to address this whole Oscars thing. The Oscars does not validate anything. Awards, uh, well, ma- mainly just awards, all that can be brought. So Oscars, Oscar buzz, Grammy buzz, Golden Globe, all that stuff doesn't mean anything to Hollywood. Absolutely nothing. Okay, please tell. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm just saying, like, okay, if you if you want to, if Hollywood, whenever Hollywood is pushing out this agenda for for anything, especially depending on the the decade it is or what's happening in current events, they will allow a certain movie that has a certain agenda to secede more than it would have, just so Hollywood or you can say just the Oscars can be perceived in a certain way just so it can get certain viewers. And a great example of that is the movie Lady Bird. Have you ever seen that one? Um, I don't think so. Okay. Well, I will save you the... I don't even know what I'm trying to say. Just don't watch the movie. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> that works. Basically, Lady Bird is all it is. It's just a young, uh, a young lady just trying to figure her way out in life. It, it, it's just a, a coming-of-age story. Now, okay. What, what, now, what it did really wrong, in my opinion, was it took every f- faction 
that was very popular at that time with the LGBT movement, the uh, PETA, the animal rights stuff that was going on at that time. Mm-hmm. And um, um, uh, yeah, basically all that stuff, even like all the, the the racial tension that was happening with the Oscars and stuff like that. They pretty much put all that stuff in one movie just to have it in there to say that, hey, this film is labeled as a LGBT film. Hey, this film is labeled as a such and such and a such and such. Like literally there are co- parts in the movie where she is doing her normal thing. The movie's taking place. And then she randomly meets a character that they established in the beginning. And then it's like, he's gay. Like, oh my God, he's gay. And she didn't know he was gay. Okay. But what's going to happen then? Absolutely nothing. We don't see him ever again. Oh, I see what you're saying. So like this movie hits this point, this point, this point, this point. Please give us an award. Okay, I got you. Completely inconsistent. I see. Which is why the Oscars doesn't mean a darn thing. (laughs) Doesn't mean anything. Well, aside from the Oscar buzz, um, what do you rate this movie out of 10? Um... I think I gave it a four. Oh, wow. I think, I you are movies, much meaner than I am. I've been giving movies fours and fives as of lately. I need to find better movies to watch. Oh, my goodness. Um, I would give it a six. Only because it's a little better than than bad, but not good enough to be great. So it's like... I can see that. Like a six for me. Um why well i well, we know why you want to rate it a four but like to sum it up again why do you give it a four um i'm gonna give it a four because what's a really really good analogy i have just nothing but great sports analogies and i just i don't want to lose you when I speak <laughs> about them. so i'm trying to really sum it up to like, i'm good with basketball and and baseball okay i have a good basketball analogy but what else what else are you are you into so i'm like pretty Uh, up with popular culture so i can make an analogy out of anything mostly film stuff mostly films yeah okay um i want to say what's a really good um i'm thinking of maybe okay but i'm I'm just gonna do the basketball one and then i'll see if i can do another analogy for it okay this film basically just shows you what sandra bullet or yeah, so Sandra Bullock is like without the backing of a big time director or a really big co-star or even a, a, a big actual star with her being the co-star. It shows mm-hmm. that her acting level is at a seven at best. And the characters that she brings to life are very mediocre and not much different from what you would get from a super talented person at a random community theater. I would have to agree with that. Right. And my analogy for that was, um, I don't know if you were big big on basketball when uh, the Phoenix Suns had like Steve Nash and Amari Stoudemire. You remember that? Right. Mm-hmm. So I would say Amari Stoudemire is Sandra Bullitt and Steve Nash is all these other co-stars or <laughs> the other stars she works with, right? And imagine right. when when uh, that that Phoenix team lost to the Lakers, that conference finals, and then Stoudemire was like, I'm pretty big. I'm going to go sign a deal somewhere else. I'm the star. He went to the New York Knicks, 
he literally only lasted two or three seasons after that and then left the NBA. Right. I remember that. Huh. What would the movie equivalent would that be? The movie equivalent of that would be is like, honestly, I would say, oh, man, see, now I'm going to be thinking about this all night and I know I can find one. I want to. Oh, OK. Well, that's going to be bad, too, because I'm not sure if you've seen that either. <laughs> I want to say it's like the never ending story, how great uh-huh. that movie is. Right. And Sandra Bullet is the never ending story, too. Or the never ending story three. Or maybe three, because two is really bad. All right, maybe that's really bad. It's really bad. Yeah, because Sandra Bullet's not that bad. (laughs) That was a lot Three, I don't even remember three. Three is the one I remember the most, because Jack Black was in that one. Oh, I definitely haven't seen that. I only seen two then. You haven't seen it? I don't remember that. Yeah, I've only seen never ending story one and two. Because after two, I was like, they should stop. They shouldn't make any more. If they make another one, I'm not watching it. Wait a second. So that means that you've never had an interest to seeing the third one. Am I correct? Correct. Which means the premise of my podcast is to watch movies that you care very little or none about and trying to find the reason why people appreciate them. So I think that means you have to come on my podcast and watch The NeverEnding Story 3. <laughs> oh! <laughs> someone does I, love that movie out there. Someone does love that movie. Like, I have the privilege of watching Troll 2, and I really appreciate that movie. Troll 2? Oh my god, you have to see it. It's, okay, it's really bad. It's an animated movie. Oh wait, you're talking about is that that movie where this white guy with glasses is like, oh no, yeah, <laughs> yes, that's Troll too, and I also appreciate Vampire Kiss with Nicolas Cage. Vampire Kiss. Yeah, I think that's what it's called. Oh, don't mess me up. I love that movie. Is that is wait a second? Which career of Nicolas Cage are we talking about? Oh, like, we're talking about career? young. Cage, his B-list career, Nicolas Cage, or his like when he actually did movies that came out in theaters. Um, no, this is like young Nicolas Cage before, like I don't know, before Con Air. Oh, uh, well, you know what? I've never seen it, and it sounds trash. But if you, uh, like, 1988, that's how old it is. I'll tell you what. It sounds trash, but if you like that one and that's about a vampire kissing or whatever, maybe you would like a Jim Carrey movie that came out super early 90s. Maybe it was like 89 called Once Bitten, and it was about him falling in love with a vampire. Oh my god, I love that movie! Oh, you seen it? Yes. Holy I'm a, oh, not a vampire aficionado, but I love vampire movies. It sounds like you are a vampire aficionado. <laughs> <laughs> yes. You know, I'm Lost Boys, Once Bitten. Wait a second. Um, so that means you're a team Jacob or team Edward? You're a team ew. Edward. Ne- neither. Neither? Neither. Why? Uh, it's Edward's character is just, it's meh. Wait, you were, kind of creepy. That, you were never on that Twilight binge? I mean, I've seen all three, but I just was like, he's creepy. Very creepy. Yeah, he is kind and of then uh Jacob was even more creepy and clingy. So I was like, Ugh, I don't like either one of you. That's fair enough. I do love Taylor Lautner though. <laughs> yes. 
Well, if I had to really, like, somebody put a gun to my head, pick one of these dudes, I'm picking Jacob, probably. Because Edward's creepy. I like his family, but he's pretty creepy. Right. And one of them was Shark Boy, which makes him a lot cooler. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. I could see that. So you asked me what I rate the movie, and I just went on a huge tangent, but... <laughs> no, it's totally cool. Tangents are awesome. Yeah, but... Um, yeah, Sandra Bullitt is, um, in my opinion, from what I've seen from the industry, movies like this are only made when they have a, a huge star backing them. In terms of... I'm pretty sure she put some of her money into this. Or Of course, was, for sure. And... Um, Got the producing credit, which is, um, you know, uh, I'm pretty sure she maybe produced something else be uh, before this, but it seems like she's definitely trans transitioning into that kind of phase into her career where she can just produce or whatever. Or you know what? What a lot of these actors are doing is just, they just want to make their own stuff. They are, because Denzel has just come out with his movie, and I think... Uh... Halle Berry had bruised, which I haven't seen yet, but it's on my list of things to watch. Um, but yeah, it's like they're all trying to do their own movies now because I guess that's the new trend in Hollywood is when you get too old or you don't have anything else that you want to make, you just do your own stuff. It's not even that. It's just like most mainstream stuff is absolute trash. <laughs> well, I'm, I mean, it's it's I mean, it's it's trash just from maybe even from an entertainment value is trash, but even also from like uh, what you can get from it, it's also just trash, which is why you've seen really popular movie or actors such as like Mary Elizabeth Winstead, who uh, if you don't know her by name, she was like in Live Free or Die Hard, or she was in uh, Final Destination 3. She right. was in Scott Pilgrim vs. the World. Like, she was pretty popular in actually doing movies and literally stepped back and just did indie films because there's just more substance in that. They are. Um, there's another actress that does only um, indie films. Oh, my gosh. What is her name? Gina something. Not Gina Carano. <laughs> no, no. Oh, no, no. She's doing, no, she's doing indie films, but not by choice. <laughs> Uh, she was in that horrible movie, Sucker Punch. What is that chick's name? Oh, Emily Browning? No, no, wait, no, wait, not wait, 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 wait a minute. Horrible movie, Sucker Punch. Yes. I absolutely love that movie. Yeah, no. Wait, so I want you to tell I me why. I was so disappointed in that movie. I want you to tell me why you, don't, you didn't like the movie, and then I'm going to tell you why you're wrong. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, Jenna Malone, there we go. Jenna Malone um, mostly does indie stuff because she says it's more fulfilling than doing like blockbuster movies. Wait, that's not the same woman that was. Uh, oh, wait, never mind, never mind. I'm thinking of Kathleen Heigl. I'm thinking of someone else different. Oh no, 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 Vlad! Like people don't like her. Yeah, exactly. Okay. <laughs> <clears throat> so I fell in love with the trailer of Sucker Punch. The trailer was the most awesome thing I've ever seen. Mm -hmm. Another movie that had a very awesome trailer that I got in the movie theater and was like, what was um, Clash of the Titans okay. with the, the new one? I just, I hate that movie. But Sucker Punch, 
I came in there with high expectations and then I came out and I was just like, what? <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, like, I mean, the action's on point. I love the color scheme. But the story, it's the story that got me. I was like, what? Like, this is what we're doing? I love the whole imagination scenario, but then I'm mm-hmm. just like, like, what happened to the rest of the story? Like, I just, I got lost in it. And I was just like, I came out like, what did I just watch? Right, right, right. And I can totally understand that. I can completely understand that. But I love the movie with all my heart because, one, not only is it shot incredible by, the, what's his name? Uh, Zack Snyder, Snyder. Mm-hmm. yeah, Zach Snyder, who has you know, there's certain directors in Hollywood that just have a certain directing feel, a certain directing look that just cannot be uh, repeated. Like that's just their look, and I think that's incredible. So not only was the look of the film just uh, awesome, but I love that the entire film is a um, a metaphor. For basically, this is a man's world, and women just have to abide by it. And these women are doing absolutely everything they can to get by and, you know, do something that's better for themselves, but end up ultimately being crushed by that hope. I love that it says that to light, and I know not everyone is consciously aware that that's what it's what the movie is saying. Right, because I I missed that message somewhere in there. <laughs> You're like, what are these monsters doing here with swords? Is that a dragon? It was like, I know this is her imagination, but what are we really doing outside of this imagination scene? It's like I got I got lost in there somewhere. Mm-hmm. But I will say the soundtrack of that movie is fantastic. Absolutely love it. I was listening to it the other day. I always listen to that. Like I'm a big soundtrack trailer buff, you know, mm-hmm. trailer music buff. So that that's oh. my jam all day long. So much more we can talk about then. Yep. <laughs> you, know, you know, Emily Browning literally stopped acting before that movie. And she said she didn't want to act anymore. And then Zack Snyder literally said, like, he wrote that role for her. Oh, wow. Yeah. So she came back into acting to do it. That's cool. Yeah. I did not know that. Yeah. There's a lot of little interesting facts. Do you ever watch the, the Real World on MTV? Um. I watched the first and second season. Okay, which is like in the nineties. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think I maybe watched a couple of seasons and then it got like a little monotonous. Like like me, like with TV shows, I watched I watched the first season of American Idol, maybe the second season, and then I was like, okay, this is gonna get redundant, so I stopped watching. I watched the first and second season of The Bachelor, and I was like, okay, this is redundant. I'm gonna stop watching. So. Oh. We can talk yeah. about the actor all day. <laughs> yeah, so it's like once I feel like a show is going to do the same thing over and over again, but slightly different, I, I'm i like, okay, I get the gist of it, so I don't need to watch anymore. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The reason why I brought that up is the actress that's on there, um, Jamie Chan, or Jamie Chung, mm-hmm. I believe that's her mm-hmm. name. She was on The right. Real World. She was. Yeah, she I was. I think she World. was. I want to say she was on, I don't know which one, but I think it was like the one that had like, oh, well, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, I don't want to say the wrong thing because I know there are some diehard real world fans out there and I'm low key 
like low key kind of 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 really big fan because I just watched all of them as a kid. Oh wow! Mm-hmm. Every I didn't watch time. all of them. I watched like a couple. Like I said, because you know what I'm saying. Like there's only so much drama you can take living in a house with a bunch of people. Right. And for me, it's all the drama. I could take, <laughs> I could take all of it. Oh my gosh. I watch all the railroad, road roads challenges, all Jersey Shore. all the. Okay, Jersey I watched Shore. all of Flavor of Love. You said you watch which one? I said I watched all of Flavor of Love. New York is very entertaining. All of Flavor of Love, all of I Love New York. Road Chance of Love is my favorite out of all of them. And then uh, even the spinoffs that came with those too. Absolutely. What was that one with what was that one with Christy and Jim Jones? What was that? Jim Jones. Yeah, the rapper Jim Jones. I didn't know he had a show like that. Yeah, it was like, oh gosh, you gonna make me look it up. Don't say love and hip hop. <laughs> no, it wasn't love and hip hop. Oh gosh, what is the name of that show? Mm-mm-mm-mm. Oh man, it's gonna take me too long to look it up. But anyway, they had a show on VH1, and um, I used to watch that too. Jim me Jones. and my sister used to be the jam. Yeah, me and my brother, we used to watch that VH VH1 stuff all day, every day. All of it. Yeah. We would consume it like it was Twinkies or whatever. I don't, <laughs> I don't know how to say that better. Oh, wow. Was it Love and Hip Hop? I think it is Love and Hip Hop. How did you not know it's Love and Hip Hop? <laughs> oh, man. Because that's what yeah, they do. It was Love and Hip Hop New York. Okay, that's what it was. I thought, mm-hmm. but they had their own show that like branched off from that. I'm thinking of the spinoff. Dang, mm-hmm. what's the name of the spinoff? But whatever, I watched all that stuff because it was drama, drama, drama. Okay, so you, you love drama. Drama. Yes, I do. Like drama reality shows or just drama TV shows? Uh, Both. But okay. mostly reality shows. Okay, cool. Yeah, I love drama reality shows. Yeah. So, all day. we definitely have a meeting for your podcast to talk. It, I, I can't believe you're going to make me watch The Never in the Story 3. No, yeah, you don't have to watch it. Just, um, we can actually think of one now if, if, you, if you want. Just a movie that you literally had no interest to see ever throughout your life that it maybe that you know people love, people always talked about. But you just never cared to watch it. Well, that would be Matrix Revolutions or Revelations oh or whatever. Oh my god, that's mine too. <laughs> but then we'll have to break down and put money in and watch it. Wait a second. So oh no, I don't. I got HBO Max, so I don't have to pay anything. Yeah, I mean, you you definitely don't have to pay anything. <laughs> in in twenty twenty two, technically nobody has to pay for movies, but um, that's true. And we're talking about. Uh, the Matrix restrictions, or, or is it revolutions? It's, it's like revolutions, revelations, something. I can't remember. Okay, so it's the fourth one, right? Yeah, it's okay, the fourth one. Cool. And 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 just 
so I know you did you were you a fan of the Matrix movies before then? I was. Okay, same here. And then like I am um, in terms of movies that people love that I never care to watch, it's always movies that nobody's asking for, like Matrix Revelations. Like nobody was asking for that. Like why are you making it? And then people watch it and love it and money. I'm like, what? <laughs> yeah, money and franchises. So I I we can watch that or we can watch or I can watch uh Never Ending Story Three. Well, I feel like so we won't waste both our times. It should definitely be <laughs> Matrix. <laughs> okay. All right. Then I'll watch that then and then we'll meet up at some point and talk about it on your podcast. Mm-hmm. That sounds fantastic. Okay. Well, I loved having you, and this was a really great conversation. Um, I don't think I'll be chopping and screwing this. I think I'm just going to let it ride as it is. Uh, yeah, of course. That's normally what I do. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, you have an awesome night, and if you have the time, I wouldn't mind you coming back again. Of course. I'll come back anytime. Cool. <laughs> Thanks. See you later. Thank you for listening to the Movie Complex Channel podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, download, and share episodes so that I know you enjoyed it. See you next week.